Hello and welcome to the TV Display and Calibration podcast from AV Forums. It's Monday the 12th of February and joining me tonight is Martin Jew, Julian Scott and our special guest is Greg Lowen. Good evening guys and welcome along. Hi Phil. Good evening. Hey, good evening Phil. Right, we're doing things a little bit differently this year. If you didn't tune into the Hi-Fi podcast or the Movies podcast uh, earlier this uh, month, uh, then let me explain things to you. So we are no longer live streaming. Uh, these podcasts are pre-recorded and we've broken out the podcast into various categories. So we now have a podcast for hi-fi, TV, home AV, and we also have two movies editions. And um, plus when it's a longer month and uh, we have a fifth Monday, uh, so that's April, July, September and December, there'll also be a gaming podcast this year. So every Monday of the month, uh, of the year, in fact, you will have an AV Forums podcast, even in December, uh, because we are... Uh, pre-recording these. Um, so we've got plenty to get through uh, this year. And obviously the reason why we're breaking these out into separate categories is so we can deep dive into the subjects, uh, answer your questions. So if you do have questions, uh, then there are a few ways of uh, getting in touch with us. Um, get your questions in. We'll then do them on the next uh, podcast. So the TV display and calibration podcast will be every second Monday of the month. So just bear that in mind if it's the TV section. But come and join us for all the podcasts uh, this year. We should have something uh, for everybody. Now, if you do watch podcasts on YouTube, just be aware this is no longer on the main YouTube channel. Uh, this now moves over to the AV Forums podcast movies channel. Uh, so if you search that out on YouTube and subscribe, then you won't miss any of the podcasts uh, this year as they are published, like I say, every Monday. And of course, if you listen to the audio only version, it will still be available through your podcast provider. It'll just be a new one every Monday for you. Um, so that's how the podcast works. But you might be new to the AV Forums podcast. You might not know who we are and why we're around and why you should um, actually care. Uh, well, we're one of the largest AV and hi-fi communities on the planet, on the internet. Um, AV Forums has been around uh, since 2000, is when the, the website launched. The editorial side of things, so that's the side of things that uh, we do here, uh, that started in 2003. We've got over 500,000 members of the website. Um, lots more returning uh, uh, members uh, and visitors. Um, and of course, we cover editorial, which covers TV, hi-fi, home AV, gaming, movies and physical media. Um, and we create the content for you at the end of the day. Um, we're not sponsored. We're, we're not a manufacturer. We're, we, we don't work for a manufacturer. We don't have any influence um, from them or from advertisers. Uh, we're here to give you honest, unbiased and experienced opinions and knowledge. And a lot of us have been around uh, this industry for a little time now. So uh, just to introduce you to myself, if you're not aware, I'm Phil Hinton. I'm the editor of the site. I have been for the last 20 years. Um, I helped build the editorial right from the start uh, with the forum founder, Stuart. Um, I'm an enthusiast first and foremost, even though I do this uh, as my profession nowadays. Um, I'm also a very experienced TV and AV reviewer and a display calibrator, and I'm trained and certified by ISF THX. And PVA, and we're going to talk about PVA tonight uh, because Greg is along and he'll tell you all about himself in a minute. Um, so I, I also produce the videos and reviews and so on. So you'll see my face on most of the videos on AV Forum. So that's who I am. Jules, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah, well, I uh, trained uh, with uh, under Greg in 2011 uh, under THX as it was then. Uh, as a video calibrator and I've been doing it ever since now also PVA certified and 
assisting Greg with uh, the uh, instruction at the uh, present, uh, you know, with the PVA courses now. So I've been professionally calibrating for all that period of time and cover grading studios, uh, people's normal TVs, consumer TVs in their homes, and uh, for high-end custom installations as well. So I get to see quite a lot of systems uh, and do a bit of audio, audio calibration too. Excellent. And uh, also here tonight is Martin. Martin, introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are. Yeah, hi. Um, I moved to San Francisco in the 1990s and worked for Lucasfilm THX for nearly 10 years uh, in marketing, sales and business development on both the home and pro sides, but at different times. I then moved to LA and did business development for the NEC Corporation Digital Cinema Division, and we were one of the three at the time DCI compliant manufacturers for digital projectors for um, for the theatrical rollout of digital projectors, replacing 35 millimeter projectors. Um, I then, before I moved back to the UK, I was in the States for 23 years. Before I moved back to the UK, I dabbled a bit, uh, not only working as an actor, but also in film crews. Um, in some cases with uh, with DreamWorks and Steven Spielberg's team. So those are fun years. And now I um, consult to a manufacturer and I also review audio equipment for AV forums and another well-known magazine. Okay, uh, so that's Martin. Uh, as you can see, bags of experience already. And finally, Greg. Uh, Greg's a special guest tonight. Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how long you've been in the industry and so on. Well, I've been in the industry now for about 23 years as a professional uh, video calibrator and a video consultant. Um, I worked, I created the video training program with THX and I ran that for 11 years. And then I started off on my own with the Professional Video Alliance about six years ago now. So. Right now, I, I'm the founder and the head of the Professional Video Alliance. And what does the, the PVA do, just for, for those of the people out there who maybe don't understand it? Yeah, well, the, the it, it's all video, and then it, just as the term says, it's, it's an alliance. So the, the alliance brings together various manufacturers of video products and uh, other people that care about video fidelity. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether it's performance home theater or post-production or, or, or production, in studio, everyone has the same desire for image fidelity. I bring all the groups together, so we all espouse those standards, and we all strive to increase the awareness of those standards. Excellent. So that's who we are, um, and we're here, obviously, to uh, try and entertain you tonight, give you some useful information on what we do in the industry, and talk through some of the subjects um, that have popped up. And obviously, we're at the beginning of the year, so what we're going to cover tonight is basically the perfect TV. Does it exist? Um, we're currently just off the hype train that was CES. Lots of new product announced and coming this year. But, um, you know, is is any of it perfect? What are we looking for when we say the perfect TV? Um, is it a perfect TV that exists on its own or is it a perfect TV for you? We're going to discuss that and some of the ins and outs um, of choosing a TV and what you should be looking for and so on. And we're also going to give you our predictions for the year ahead. What's in, what's out, what are the trends, um, which way our display is moving, um, which way our TV is moving, and what's new with calibration. And we've got two of the best guys in the business on the podcast tonight to discuss that 
as well. So uh, if you do have questions on anything that we discussed tonight, you've got your opinions or your feedback and so on, you can get in touch with us. It's AV Forums uh, on the email. So it's podcast at avforums.com on the email. It's AV Forums Podcasts on YouTube. Uh, stick your comment down below. Uh, let's move the discussion down there. We'll do some uh, Q&A with that. Um, your questions are uh, obviously... Uh, looked at um, and then they're accumulated and added to the next following podcast on that subject. So if you do ask a question, um, we will do everything we can to uh, ask that and answer it on the next podcast. But before we get started tonight, we do have some competitions and some really good prizes for people to win. Um, so uh, why don't we um, go through the competitions now, um, Martin? Yep, sure. And excuse me, please, while I glance at my other monitor. But uh, firstly, we've got a chance to win a Teak AI303 integrated amplifier worth £799. This competition closes at 11.59pm on Saturday, the 30th of February, 2024. Secondly, you can win the ultimate streaming system worth £2,400 from Roxanne and Monitor Audio with the Atessa streaming app and the MA Silver 107G bookshelf speakers. This competition closes at 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday, the 28th of February of this year, 2024. And finally, you can win a Valencia Tuscany XL Ultimate Luxury Onyx Cinema Seat worth £2,200. That competition closes at 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday, the 28th of February. Okay, uh, that's the competitions. No previous winners to tell you about, but we do have some new patrons. Um, thank you very much for your support. Uh, again, Martin, why don't you uh, run through quickly who the new patrons are? Yep, sure. Our new patrons are Jordan Holland, Dave Dean, David, Ben Ackerman, Saab Unleashed, Nick, and Arjan Verdi. Okay. Uh, again, thank you very much for your support. Uh, it really is appreciated. It does help us expand the editorial and these podcasts. And of course, um, you don't just have to be a patron. You can also buy us a coffee, and somebody did buy us a coffee, Martin. Uh, yes, uh, Jimenez bought us a coffee. A coffee. A coffee. Excellent. Well, we'll share it amongst the four of us. Thank you very much for that, and thank you for your support. Uh, right, so let's get on with the show, and uh, the first thing to cover is our Q&A uh, area. So questions were asked um, from the last uh, podcast. So from X Twitter, uh, Kieran asks, is it worth investing uh, in the new trend of hyping up nits when in reality one is watching in a moderately bright living room. Also, all these big TVs, what will happen when a bad pixel appears and how difficult is it to repair it? Right, so uh, just very, very quickly, talking about hyping nits, yeah, that is something that manufacturers do. Um, when they're talking about 3,000 nits, that's not a full screen at 3,000 nits. Uh, that is a very, very, very small area of the screen, usually 3%, if not lower, is where they're getting their uh, measurements and their numbers from. And it's never in an accurate mode either. Um, so when we say that, uh, what we're talking about is in vivid mode, probably. 3% um, window and, and basically pushing the TV very hard. That's where they're getting the, those numbers from. You don't have to worry about uh, nets, values, and hyping nets and all the rest of it. Um, manufacturers do that. Marketing will do that. Um, if you listen on to the podcast, we're going to talk about TVs and TVs that might suit you and the environments uh, where they will suit. And if you're in a bright living room, we'll cover that as well. So hopefully, Kieran, we're going to come around and answer that in a little bit more detail. And from YouTube, uh, Robert Schmidt uh, 4025 says, do you really think that Sony can compete with micro LED against OLED? Well, they're going to try. 
Um, I've had a sneak peek of the technology. It looks very, very promising. Um, but the proof will be in the pudding when we get actual retail product in and we can test that. Um, the thing with micro LED is, can you get blacks black? Um, because that's the weak point. Uh, viewing angles is a weak point and also blooming and other artifacts. So how well can uh, Sony deal with those issues? They look like they're on to a winner with the new driving uh, algorithm that they have there, the way that they've set out their micro LEDs. Um, I find a sneak peek. It looks very good, and especially the gradation of detail uh, that they can get um, out of each of these zones. So we won't be able to answer that question until later on. Um, but they're, but they're squeezing out a, a lot of extra brightness, aren't they, uh, Phil? I think you said. Well, this, this is the whole point. So the whole point is that they, they are saying that their professional um, grading monitor can now do 4,000 nits and new ones coming along. Um, so they want their consumer TV to be able to do 4,000 nits. Again, it's marketing, it's pushing numbers, it's chasing numbers. What's interested me, Martin, with this technology is the gradation in terms of um, the backlight and how well that backlight is working and um, you know, coming out of black or a black object or a white object against a black background and how fine uh, they can get the, the backlight to work in terms of cutting down on haloing and blooming and so on. And uh, also, uh, you know, when you're talking about blacks and just above black and so on, they, they're basically pushing that as their um, real plus point with, uh, with this backlight technology because of the way that they can drive the mini LEDs. So it looked really, really promising in the demos. We'll see when the product arrives, which is going to be second half of the year. So hopefully that answers your question, Robert, um, from YouTube. Thank you very much for your questions. Uh, get them in. Uh, either head over to AB forums, find this podcast in the podcast forum and add your questions into that thread or in the comments down below if you're watching on YouTube. And of course, email podcast at avforums.com. Right, so let's move on to tonight's subjects. Jules, is there such a thing as a perfect TV? No. <laughs> Greg. Next question. <laughs> Greg, same question. Ditto. <laughs> and uh, and Martin, what's your thoughts? Uh yeah, I would uh I, I I would assume not. I certainly don't think I've seen one yet. Okay. So let's get that out of the way because it is that that cliched thing, you know, there is no such thing as a perfect TV, and there, there is no such thing as a perfect TV yet. Every year in the comment sections on whatever website you look at, whether it's AV forums or elsewhere, people are saying, How could you give this a 10? because um, it's not a perfect TV. Well, there is no perfect TV. Um, and the reason for that is that uh, there are a number of technologies that are being used um, to create the displays uh, that you can go out and buy. Uh, the two main ones are OLED and LCD. Um, there are a number of different flavors of LCD technology. So you've got micro LED, you have uh, mini LED, and you have LED uh, backlit uh, LCD TVs as well. Uh, those are the main ones you have. Uh, LCD TVs that have a full uh, global backlight. You have uh, uh, FAL TVs, so um, full array local dimming systems. You then have mini LEDs, which have the dimming zones, but then uh, thousands of mini LEDs in each of those zones that can be controlled. Uh, so that's your LCD technology. And then micro LED is maybe something we really wait a little bit later for because that is mega expensive, but it could be the holy grail. That could actually be the perfect TV, but it's many years away. And then you have OLED, which um, has that amazing dynamic range and that amazing contrast, um, but struggles a little bit uh, with brightness. But that seems to be something, uh, Jules, this year and certainly last year that uh, companies have taken on board. And we've seen things like Micro Lens Array, which is you know tiny little convex lenses that are on uh, the pixels, which 
direct the light straight out to the viewer and, and up the brightness. And of course, QD OLED is from Samsung Display. It's a, another technology, RGB uh, display, uh, which is also pushing um, some nice brightness figures as well. Yeah, I mean, last this last year was quite a breakthrough year um, compared to previous ones. If, for example, you bought an LG G2, you were probably going to get something in the region of 900 nits peak output on a 10 on a 10 percent window if you then bought a g3 you'd be hitting around 1300 maybe even 1400 nits so that's quite a leap in a single year and was an appreciable difference most of the time we're seeing very minimal um year on year improvements um so there'd be very little difference between a c1 and a c3 for, for example but that differential uh, on the micro LED displays was quite a jump. Um, mm. Whether it could be repeated again, I mean, again, we might be back into a cycle of just sort of slight, you know, annual improvements. Um, but certainly, if you bought a G3, it was a big increase in brightness. Same with the my, the um, QD OLEDs as well. Um, they um, well, they 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 improved as well last year too. So they were again hitting around those those same numbers. Um, and given that most content for HDR is graded to a thousand nits, uh, you know that covers most of those bases. I suppose what we're going to be seeing in the future with the with Sony sort of um, coming out with their new uh, four thousand nit monitor is uh, maybe that bar will rise mm. from a thousand to four thousand. So we'll, we'll yeah. just have to wait and see. And of course, the 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 reason why we're at a thousand nits is that. There's very few, um, even in the professional side of things, there are very few monitors that can get to 4,000. It's, I, I think the Dolby Pulsar is probably mm -hmm. the one that most people know, but there's not there's not one of them in every facility. You have to be a, a fairly top-notch facility to get one of those, and it's uh, it's a mega expensive um, display. Um, and then if you look at uh, previous Sony monitors, Flanders, Scientific, and so on, they've all struggled um, when it's come to the net level again and, and the brightness level so it's interesting that we've, we've landed on the, the 1000 it's because uh, greg and the creative community a lot of these directors um who are making the movies they don't seem to be getting on to the hdr bandwagon everything seems to be round about six seven hundred nets in terms of what they're doing in terms of peak brightness and so on they are i mean it's they're averaging they're, they're not hitting 1000 I, I think with the new sony with the new Sony production monitors that go to 4,000 nits, I think it's going to open the ball game up. They're going to be able to see a, a larger color gamut, larger color volumes, and then do more impressive post-production work, you know, re in relation to that. Um, we're also finding that this, the, the, the standard for HDR ETOF is supposed to be at 100 nits average plus peak light output. We're actually finding that the, the average content, the average content creator is actually making that average closer to 200 nits. So it's twice the, what the spec is. Mm. Now, we are also finding then, so if you're if you're calibrating on spec, you know, the image can be dim. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. And of course, we're, we're talking about reference figures here and re reference monitors and so on, which to the vast majority of people doesn't mean an awful lot. Um, it's, it's what they see in the room at the end of the day, uh, Martin. So... Do you think the message is getting lost a little bit, and that's why people are being confused? Because we have market departments who are throwing, you know, this TV's got twenty thousand zones and can do ten thousand nits. It's a bit disingenuous for an end consumer who doesn't understand what PQE or TF is, doesn't understand what HDR is. So, do you think a lot of good technology is being lost in the marketing at the minute? 
Yeah, I think it probably is. But I mean, I think, um, you know, we're always limited by by what's there in, in the uh, in, in the source. But the marketers of the manufacturers are always going to push to the very limits um, of how they promote their products. So I, I kind of understand why they're doing it. Bigger means better, but uh, you can definitely be limited. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is a problem with with the net game, um, guys. It's it seems to be, uh, um, you know, Sony are, are on this this role at the minute where the the they can do four thousand nits in the the grading suite now with this new monitor. But again, it's it's the marketing behind that, isn't it? It's you need a, a TV with more nits, and I don't think the public actually understand what nits are, other than things that you might find in your hair now and again. Um, it seems to be a a strange word to use for a brightness term. So how do we not dumb it down, but how do we make it more accessible to the end user in terms of understanding what all this means when it comes to a TV and why there's no such thing as a perfect TV, Jules? Well, I think the education is is is, is pretty critical. Um, as you say, most people wouldn't understand it. Most people walking into their local shop to buy a TV, their eyes would probably glaze over. Um, they'd just be looking at the prettiest, brightest, most colorful picture in the showroom but of course av forums um can play a big part here in educating the general public um certainly you know most i guess most of the people on av forums are pretty geeky like we are um and they they come in for that information and, and av forums reviews gives people that all the information they need so um you know the, the there's um there's a role there to play um, in educating the uh, the wider public, as well, in, in addition to all the AV forums people as well. So, education is critical. You're probably not going to get down a, that that information down at your local store, um, but we've got to find a way of getting that that information out to people um, so they can make more informed buying uh, buying decisions. Um, as we all know. Um, when you walk into the store, the brightest, prettiest, most colourful picture isn't necessarily the best one yeah um so uh yeah it, it's it's education is, is always is always important yeah absolutely and and obviously checks in the post jules thank you very much for bigging up right. forums it is appreciated uh, but no it, you know we have a huge community out there of people who are into this are, are into the hobby and so on and hopefully uh by imparting the, the correct information and that's what we're here for uh that then trickles down to um, not the people on AV forums, but the people that who they then speak to, um, and and then inform in, in terms of what you should be looking for for a TV. So so let's go back to this. You know, there's no rule, uh, no one to rule them all. And when it comes to TVs, we got different rooms and different so on. So let's make this useful for for people out there. Um, and let's go back to uh, the first question that was asked tonight. Um, I believe it was from um, Kieran, um, who mentioned a bright living room, and there's this. Uh, fallback that's been in the industry for a long time that if you're in a bright living room it's an LCD TV not an OLED um, I don't believe we're there anymore are we Greg I think um, OLED can certainly hold its own now in a bright room and a lot of it is is how to correctly set up them not just the TV but also think about the room in which the TV is is being placed the you're totally correct I, I think OLEDs in bright rooms are workable I think when you when you're setting up an OLED in a bright room, you have to do a few things different. You're gonna to have to increase the light output from what it would be in a dark room because there's more ambient light, and then and then uh, adjust to a little bit more of a, a different gamma, which the gamma is the average light output as it goes from black to white, make it a little bit brighter, which will make the colors more 
more pop a little bit and make it more watchable in the daytime. But I have a 77 inch L, um, OLED in my living room, lots of light, lots of windows, watch lots of football, watch lots of soccer, and it looks great. Yeah. And, and Jules, this is, it, it seems to be a, a misconception for a lot of people in terms of um, when it comes to setting up, up the room and, and they believe that they're going to need a, an awful lot of light out of the TV to, to make a difference. And um, I think when we're banging on about reference standards, that sometimes confuses people because they, you see the comments where, well, I put it into cinema mode and it's too dark. So if you're in a bright room, cinema mode is going to be too dark or THX mode yeah. is going to be too dark or ISF mode is going to... So what can, what can that consumer then do or, or that user then do to improve the picture but keep it towards what the director intended? Well, of course, the references that we calibrate to are those that is standardized within the industry for content creation. That's for a dark room. Um, but of course, we would, in a, in a more ambient light situation, we can adapt what we're doing. So you would probably choose a different gamma. You maybe go for 2.2 or even lower. Um, and again, you, you, you'd boost your overall output either via an OLED light or an, on an LCD or with a backlight. Um, and certainly in, in SDR, you can achieve a really, really bright picture. In HDR, uh, where the dynamic range is that much bigger uh, and you've made, you know, the content's looking for a thousand nits, um, it, it, you know, it's not gonna be quite, quite as bright because um, of the tone mapping, et cetera. But there's still things that can be done. Most TVs will still have a bright room HDR mode and a dark room HDR mode. And so we can still adjust the adjust the image to reflect the environment and to and to give people a watchable picture. But of course, you're gonna to get the best out of your display, you're going to try and watch in a reference environment. You know, that's that's the for me, that's you know that's the ultimate goal is to replicate the environment that the content was created in and was signed off on by by the by the um, creatives. Yeah, but Greg, not everybody's going to live in a grading suite, are they? So, you know, for that end end user, um, like Jules says, you can make uh, certain adjustments and so on. Um, but again, when it comes to the room, what kind of things can people do to to improve their viewing environment and improve the picture quality? Well, control ambient light, you know, close the curtains, um, even instead of direct sunlight, having a, you know, a curtain in so the, in, the sunlight becomes indirect, subdues the light in the room, makes it more watchable. Um, reflections off the screen, all these screens have some kind of a glossy surface. So if you, if you're behind the viewing environment, if you can turn off the lights behind, you'll have less reflections onto the screen and it'll be much more watchable just by doing that. Yeah. So again, when you're looking at a TV, what, what we're basically saying here is think about where you want to have the TV in your room. Think about the room. Think about how you, you're setting up the room. Because a lot of people don't consider this when they're looking for a TV. They just think, well, the TV should go in that corner there and so on. But just think about the room a little bit. We're not telling you to change where your windows are or move the TV or whatever. Just think about the room. Like Greg says, think about what you can do to maybe disperse some of that ambient light during the day and so on. And maybe have two modes on your TV. It, it's it's not that big a far fun. You know, you and can switch Phil, from bright to dark mode. Just one more point, Phil, is that some TVs have better filters on them. Than Absolutely, others. I was just coming on uh, to this. Yeah. So okay, you, you carry so, on. So then, then you want to go where the display technology is going to be best for you, and and then we are open up a whole can of worms because what it is, what is it that you want the TV for? If it's nice and easy 
you want to watch films critically, well, you know, it, there's, there's quite the use case in terms of darken the room as much as you can, try and get a reference um, environment when you're watching the TV critically and have the TV calibrated best you can, whether that's professionally calibrated or using something like filmmaker mode. Um, most of them are, are, are pretty good out of the box now in terms of filmmaker mode. You're not going to have uh, massive errors anyway. You can tighten it up with calibration, but a lot of these settings out of the box, even on the retail sets and we check them, they're, they're fairly good these days. And like we say, if it is a little bit of a brighter room, um, they do have bright modes as well. And some TVs now, I don't know if you guys are going to agree with me or not, but some of them do have pretty useful light sensors nowadays, which used in the correct manner um, can make some good adjustments during the day, obviously switch it off for critical viewing. But during the day, some of these light sensors, they're not that bad, are they, in terms of what they're doing with the image? I must confess, Phil, I've never used one. Uh, you know, really? It's all, okay, that's interesting. Always switch it off. Well, because when you calibrate, obviously you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You you, you, you're creating a moving target all the time. Mm -hmm. so, so I mean, I have to confess, I don't, I don't really use them. Okay. Uh, right. Greg, any experience or are you the same? I turn them off. I'm setting up just a, <laughs> a separate daytime mode versus nighttime mode. If you're going to do as you suggest and you turn the light sensor on, you have to turn it off anyway for your reference viewing. That's so true. just go, yeah, ahead, that's go ahead and turn your daytime mode on versus your nighttime. I've got to say, you know, I have been impressed with some of these uh, some of these light sensors. Panasonic jumps to mind. Uh, what they're doing with filmmaker mode, you put it in filmmaker mode. During the day, it, it's looking at the ambient light. Um, it's looking at color temperature of the room, and it's making very, very subtle changes. But... It's just changes that you would make by having a bright room mode. Um, so there's two different ways of doing it. You have your bright room mode, or you could use the light sensor. Um, and certainly, if it's a brand like Panasonic who are, you know, trying to do what the what the director intended and trying to fit within that envelope, um, you can get some pretty good results. So um, if it's a reference, the, the light sensors can be sorry, Phil, uh, can be quite aggressive as well. <laughs> Again, and that's why I say, you know, if it's a company like Sony or Panasonic, you know that that. You know they're going to follow the creators as much as they can, and obviously Dolby Vision IQ um, is a technology from Dolby. Um, I don't necessarily agree with what they tell manufacturers to do with the settings. I would go in and manipulate the settings and switch a lot of the noise reduction stuff off and that kind of thing. But um, again, it's trying to find that balance uh, for the end user. And at the end of the day, we always say if you're going to do it, do it right, do it to a reference environment. Not everybody lives in a green suite. So how do we then go to the next step and say, well, you know, we want to get as close as possible to the director's intent. And I think it's a nice option to have on some of these TVs. But Martin, you are right. Some of the some of the previous attempts at this technology haven't been great because all it's done is just lift the black levels and and you know make the, the image look very, very milky. Yeah, and on a big TV it can be, you know, a sunlight glare. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, the other important thing I think always is uh, TV placement as well. You know, don't put your flat panel display above the fireplace place and no. break your no. neck. No. And, you know, no. the ideal thing is, I think um, uh, even Simpty says, you know, your eyes should ideally be about a third of the way up the screen, that level there, uh, because the screen should look rather large and, you know, if you're enjoying your movies or sports, it's nice to feel very immersed and about a third of the way up the screen is ideal to achieve that sense. Mm. Yeah. Well, I did have a, a very, very caring dentist once I used to go to, and they used to have a ceiling on the ceiling, uh, a TV on the ceiling. So when, they, when you went back <laughs> to your dentist's chair, 
you could uh, you can watch TV whilst you're having your teeth drilled. Yeah, well, but nowadays they put they put uh, the glasses on, don't with with the displays and, yeah. and that kind of thing. Maybe you can have yeah. some of those new Apple ones on there as well. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, think about the room. The room's really important. As it is with audio, it's the same with video. You want to think about, you know, is the light hitting the screen? You know, where is it positioned, and so on. Then you want to think about calibrating to the room uh, in terms of your video chain and so on. Um, but if you're just Somebody who wants a TV um, and you want it in your room and you want to get the best out of it. Some of some of these TVs really do look good out of the box nowadays. It's not like the old days where um, you know you picked up a TV and it didn't have a cinema mode in it. It just had glaring blue whites everywhere and, and D93, you know, because it was made in Japan. Um, we've come a long way in terms of in terms of displays these days, and a lot of these displays um, look great. So just think about the room, think about your environment, and think about your use case. You know, are you a gamer? You're going to want a completely different set um, to somebody who's really into films and just wants to watch films on the TV. So, again, it comes down to use case, guys, and and you know, picking the right TV for that use case. So, when we say perfect TV, it's the perfect TV for your use case, Greg, isn't it? Absolutely. It's all specific for what the client wants. Whether you know, you want to be viewing sports, you want to be viewing movies, you want to be doing gaming or even like cartoons, you know, it, it's all related to your source content. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jules, the choice now is, is quite immense for people because uh, manufacturers have doubled down. Some of them have made their TVs specific to certain areas. So some of them are going and chasing the gaming crowd and, and adding features in uh, like 144 Hertz and, and, you know, four HDMI 2.1 inputs and so on. Yeah. Whereas other TVs are like Panasonic's and, and and others, they will cater for that market, but they also want to cater for uh, the movie enthusiasts and the sports enthusiasts. There is there is quite a variety, and as I go around calibrating for AV forums people and and, and others, um, it's quite interesting to see you know to hear people what you know, why did you choose this this TV over that TV? Why this brand over that brand? And there are plenty of people that would say, I just love Panasonic cinematic picture. I mean, it just, you know, it, it still feels quite analog compared to, you know, another brand. Um, and you might find people gravitating towards LG for the gaming side of things because it's so well equipped. Um, and then you have other people saying, I just love the Sony motion processing. There is no one tv to rule them all um and it is a, a use case and a preference case when depending upon what is your uh what's your particular poison what do, what are you particularly into um yeah so each of these I mean, the thing is they're all really good i mean as you said you know you know not not it's not like it was like 10 years ago um if you buy any one of these tvs they're not perfect they're, they're you know they each have their strengths and weaknesses but they're all really good um yeah. Yeah. you know historically we've, we're, we've never had it so good yeah and I, and i think the choice is out there so um what are your questions what's your feedback what do you want to know about tvs um hopefully uh you know the guys here will be back uh, most months um i'm hoping greg's going to join a little bit more as well um throughout the year because we're going to cover a lot of setup techniques and how to set up your TV properly, you know, when you get it out of the box, what's the first thing you should be doing and so on, all the way through to uh, what the guys do in terms of professional calibration and what can you do to improve, uh, you know, your viewing environment and, and your viewing enjoyment from your TV. Because let's face it, 
you know anything uh, these days that you go and and purchase at, at the price points that that most of these good screens are at, you want to get the very best out of it. You want to get uh, the absolute what you're paying for. So, you know, t it's about taking the time. It's about actually manipulating the settings a little bit. Um, some of the research that we did, we did a, a more poll uh, when we did our picture perfect, um, and basically they phoned around um, the general public and asked them a, a few simple questions about the TVs. Um, and it was really quite astonishing to find that uh, a huge proportion of those people um, never touch the settings on the TV. They take the TV out of the box, they put it on the, the unit and, and never touch it. I'm not talking about AV forums members. We're talking about the general public here. Uh, so as Jules says, it's all about education. It's all about um, just little hints and tips. How do you how how to get the best out of your TVs, um, which modes and you should be using. And if you're a gamer or film fan or sports fan, you know, what, what should you be doing with your TVs? We're going to do that throughout this year. Um, we're going to have specific uh, subjects for each month. Um, so let us know what you want to know about, what your questions are. There are no, there's no such thing as a silly question either. If you've always wanted to ask this question and you've been scared on the forums or whatever, ask the question. You can do it anonymously. We'll we'll give you the answers to that those questions. We'll try and walk you through the subject um, uh, so you're getting the best out of your kit. So get your questions in podcast.avforums.com on the email uh, down below if you're watching on YouTube um, and of course uh, avforums.com uh, go to the forum list right the way down the bottom of the forum list you'll find the podcast forum find this podcast and then put your question in the comments section so is there a perfect TV well there is the potential of a perfect TV uh, it's still some distance away I mean come 2024 I was hoping to say it was only a few years away. I still think um, in terms of where we are, in terms of yield, in terms of uh, nailing the technology uh, and, and it becoming you know commercially viable, I, I still think we're a little bit distance away. But we're talking about micro LED technology. It brings the best of OLED and the best of LED, LCD TV technology. You get the brightness, um, you get the viewing angles, you get the dynamic range, you get the color volume. Um, every time I see this technology, it blows me away. Every time I see it, it blows me away. Um, the problem is it's so damn expensive. Um, even a, a, a you know a, a relatively cheap TV is still a hundred odd thousand um, when you're talking about micro LED at any kind of screen size. And of course, they don't do specific screen sizes under a think. I think the smallest you can get is 78, although don't nail me to the board on that one. I could be wrong, but I think it's it's about 78 or 79 inches is the smallest uh, this technology will go at the moment um, in terms of commercially available TVs from Samsung. So, guys, um, uh, Martin, have you experienced micro LED uh, in any way at this moment in time? Uh, I have to say um, probably not, actually. Um, I don't... Um... I don't get that much chance to look at monitors because I work in the audio side of the business, but uh, I'm hoping that will uh, change over time. Yeah, well, if you're ever in London, go to Harrods. I, I believe they've got a 240-inch um, <laughs> micro-LED uh, wall. So you know, if you want to go and see one, I think it's the only retailer in the UK that has one, but 
uh, and I could be wrong about that, but it's the only retailer I know about that has one. Um, and it's it's impressive technology if you just want to see what it's capable of doing. Um, I, I am imagining, uh, and because they're in the same room, you might be wondering why uh, Greg and Jules are in the same room. They're actually in Barcelona. They were, they were out there for ISC. If you want to know more about ISC and what the guys are doing out there, uh, we're going to cover that in the Home AV podcast, so next Monday's podcast. Uh, but at the moment, guys, uh, you've been out at ISC. I have no doubt you have seen this technology on the show floor somewhere, um, or you've seen it in the past. Yep, I have. I mean, Greg, you've, you've calibrated, haven't you, a Samsung wall? Yeah, I've, I've done multiple uh, micro LEDs now, 100, 240 yeah. inches, 180 inches. Very nice, very bright, good black levels, very impressive. I mean, we have problems with uh, immersiveness and like uh, if you want a theatrical experience, you want to put the speaker behind you, mm-hmm. you know, behind the screen. We, we can't do that with micro LED, but they are working on that. Mm-hmm. those things where they're bouncing the speakers off the back of the room onto the front of the screen to give you that theatrical experience with from the audio yeah yeah and and jules you've obviously seen the tech what do you think yep. uh you know there's no questioning its quality you know the dynamic range you can achieve with those black levels and you know the peak output at the same time it's it's mind-blowing from that point of view but you know i call me an old an old stick I still on my projection, Phil. <laughs> well, we're going to come on to the predictions next, yeah. so we'll, we'll save projectors for that. But yeah, micro LED has the potential to be the perfect TV, but it's still years away, years yeah. away, at least five years away. Um, and even then, you know, getting it down to the kind of price points that the the consumer can get uh, involved in is still, um, I think, a, a maybe a decade away before it, it ever got to that stage and who knows it might be something that just they can never get uh, to work um in a commercial sense mm-hmm. um so yeah it'll be interesting to see the journey with that one so we know what the current technologies are we're going to cover them throughout the year we're going to tell you how to set up your tvs we're going to tell you how to do things properly in terms of setting out your room and so on but let's talk about some of the trends that we see coming up this year because um, nine stands still for very long. Um, one of the big trends that we have seen is the niche race. Um, so we're back to nets again, Jules, but there has been this niche race. Now we're getting 3,000 nets, allegedly, from um, QD OLED and MLA version 2.0 um, with the new Meta Booster. So again, you know, we're chasing nets, but we need to give the education message here, which is that's not full screen brightness. Yeah, um, and it's only for specular highlights. So the little tiny, you know, bright shimmering stars or things like that, you know, it, it cannot be sustained on a, on a full field. If you give one of those, um, you know, um, MLA panels or the QD OLED panels a full white um, peak output, you'll, you'll get a very, very much lower level mm. um, of output. And... You know, it's not that people, people, when they hear 3000 is 2000, they think, blimey, it's going to burn my eyes out. But it's only for the small, yeah. the, the tiny little things that what I would call the, the fairy dust, you know, that it just, that just, just elevates the picture beyond the SDR experience. And, um, and, and that's what we like about HDR, but it isn't about making the whole picture 3000 nits. Yeah. And, and Greg, I think the best demonstration I, I've, ever seen of hdr was actually at ces um before the event um back in 2019 i think or 2020 when sony showed off a a 10,000 nit um tv um which was showing some footage of vegas and so on and it's the most realistic thing i've ever seen because 
it looked realistic. It looked like the old cliche looking out the window, but that's the whole point of HDR. It's to make it look as lifelike as possible because if you took a light meter out into the real world and you pointed it at a bit of chrome that was the sun was hitting on a car or whatever, you'd be getting over 10,000 nits. Um, and that's what we're aiming for here. It's it's that realism. It's not burning your retinas. It's actually making something feel like you, you're actually there. Yeah, the specification is supposed to be uh, no more than 10% of the image for spectral highlights. So, you know, very small parts, like we said, like, you know, the sun, the headlight, uh, reflections off something, just to make it look much more realistic. And it does look much more realistic do that um when you when you talk about 2019 that's right about the same time sony sony sent me a prototype for one of one of our trainings in amsterdam it was an 85 inch mm. and it, it did 4400 nits and it at 85 inches and we tried to watch some uh some football on it and it was actually so bright we turned the backlight down to like two you know just because yeah. we, we were trying to watch football and it was just it was it was uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, and of course the you know the whole net race. It's not about that full screen um, brightness. It, it's about the specular highlights, and I think this is where it gets lost in the mix. Certainly with the marketing, and I think we can point the finger at everybody's marketing departments because they're always looking for the big number. You know that's what sells TVs at the end of the day, and I think it's a, a point, Martin, that, that's getting lost, um, and and that's where education comes in. Yeah, absolutely, but. It does amaze me, just anecdotally, just talking to people uh, who aren't in the industry, how many of them know about 4K. They know the term HDR, and in many cases, they even know the term Dolby Vision. And obviously, that's because they see those brands and those logos uh, on advertising, etc. But people do kind of ingest the uh, the basics. And it shouldn't take much more just to tip them over the edge and become even sort of slightly dangerous, you know. Yeah. So um, I guess the prediction this year is everything is getting brighter, um, but not in, but not in the way that you think. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. Um, other things, and and we're going to cover a whole podcast on this, but we're actually seeing larger screen TVs now, and the prices are plummeting very very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it's really surprising. You know the the size of screens that we can get, even in the UK now. Um, it's always been US driven. You guys over there, um, you know, you've got bigger living rooms, you've got bigger houses, you've got bigger spaces, bigger TVs fit. But even in the UK, um, manufacturers are, are turning around to me and saying, "Well, our biggest, you know, growth area is seventy five inches and above," which is astonishing. Um, and then when you look at the prices, Greg, you can buy a ninety eight inch TCL TV. For two thousand dollars or two thousand pounds, it's ridiculous. Yeah, very, so, very, very, becoming very economical very quickly. Everyone's getting into it, and they're buying the larger sets because they're less money than what they were. You know, than the, than the yeah. sixty-five inch set was just a couple of years well, ago. And larger, larger sets are more cinematic. Yeah. You know, why, why, why do we go for IMAX? Why do we go to? Do we still go to you know commercial cinema? Yeah. Uh, because we want that large screen experience and a 55 inch, you know, used to be the average size of a TV in a British home. It's probably not now, but it's, 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 we want the impact of a larger screen. I have mm -hmm. a, I have a 77 inch or 75 inch LED panel in my bedroom. I paid 600 US dollars for it with the mount. And 
it for 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 watching the news and watching some of the content that we normally watch that's not theatrical it looks yeah. phenomenal I, I, I have it set for 200 nits. It's doing gamma 2.4. It's doing perfect rec 709. Yeah. So Martin, is the projector dead? Uh, no, I don't think it is. And actually I was talking to Jules about this on the floor at um, ISE. I still actually on balance prefer the image that a projector uh, creates. <clears throat> um, I don't know if it's due to kind of the softness or the warmth of the image. Um, I, I said to Jules, I would rather watch a grey projector than a black TV. Um, I, I don't really like the reflective surfaces of a, a lot of the flat panel displays now. I also think they look a little bit synthetic compared to projectors as well. If you want that really kind of film-like look, um, it's the projector for me, and I, I love the experience. Yeah, yeah I I, I, I'll agree with you there. If you want a theatrical experience, it's 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 yeah. a reflected image. It you know yeah. at the end of the day, that's that's what it is. But with, with the prices coming down as much as they are, it has to put things like ultra-shot through at yeah. risk. It's hugely tempting, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm thinking about it now. I mean, I saw the 115-inch TCL. Is it the X995 or something? I, yeah. I think that was on the show floor at ISC, actually, uh, Jules. Yeah, it was. Um, and, yeah, it's it's really compelling. I think, wow, I wonder if I could put one of these in my cinema room. But... But the other thing is I love the luxury. I've said this in other podcasts as well. I love using my masking panels. I love masking to the precise aspect ratio, whether it's 1.66 to 1 or 2.66 to 1. I just, I love all that playing around with the yeah. kind of, um, you know, legacy theatrical formats. Yeah. But, but also, Martin, in this discussion as well, you're an audio guy. Where yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, this this is a subject yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. It's it's a podcast on its own, but we'll come back to it. But yeah, in terms of predictions, there's a lot of things that are coming along this year. So, um, keep your eyes peeled. If you want to see um everything that we saw out at CES, um, and also Philips made an announcement the week after CES in terms of what they're releasing in uh, Europe and the UK. Uh, that was from Barcelona. Uh, you can find our coverage on our YouTube channel, AV Forums, uh, the main channel. Uh, there is a playlist of all our CES coverage. We go through all the new TVs that have been announced this year and the Philips announcements there with their new TVs is on there as well so go and check that out that wraps up this podcast um, our first TV uh, and display and calibration podcast but stay tuned because we're here every month we're going to have different subjects we want your feedback we want your comments we want your questions send them in to us and we'll make sure that we answer them or we may even do a full podcast um, on those questions that really are uh, important to you out there we're here to help at the end of the day we're part of the community we're all like-minded people and um, like i say AV Forum's one of the biggest uh, communities out there um so yeah come and join us come and ask your questions you don't have to do just on the podcast head over to the forums um there's owners threads out there if you're interested in any product especially tvs and so on you can read the reviews but also go and check out the owners threads you know these are people who are going and buying the tvs and living with them um on a long-term basis um, and can give you some real feedback on what it's like uh, in terms of some of the things that we maybe just don't have time to cover in reviews. It's always a useful resource. Um, so go and, and ask the questions and find out a little bit more. Um, so that's it for this one. Our next episode is the Home AV edition. It's out on Monday the 19th of February, and it's the same crew. We're going to talk about exactly the same things in the intro in about six seconds when we stop the recording and start the next one. Um, and all our podcasts are available from 7pm um, on our podcast channel. It's AV Forums podcast on the YouTube and of course the audio only version is available from your uh, usual podcast providers so join us every Monday um, for a podcast but my thanks to Jules 
Uh, my thanks to Martin and my thanks to Greg. Uh, thank you very much, guys. It is appreciated. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much. And of course, if you enjoyed the podcast, of course, subscribe to the channel, leave us a like, do all the usual cliched um, social media stuff. And of course, you can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash AV Forums. I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for watching and listening. And we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye.